you've ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, Shopify, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so that the deposit amounts match the bank statement. Did you know you could be using Cinder to automatically do this for you? Stay tuned to hear from our sponsor, Cinder, later in the episode. All your automated processes should start with a human interaction and end with a human interaction. And so maybe algorithms are okay, but they can't be the replacement. And that's what's happening across the board here, is you're not interacting with a human and some bots making a decision and turning off your bank account. This is why I don't want any smart car or any smart appliances or any smart anything. Because I don't want things just being turned off by some random algorithm that can't be trusted. Today is Saturday, July 10th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, do I sound different this week? A little bit different. All right, I made some progress on the studio here. I actually have real mounts so the monitors and keyboards don't fall off to the ground. I put a little bit of sound backing in. I got a new microphone and boom arm. It's still not perfect, but I'm dialing things in slowly here. Making progress. I think I have a keyboard that's too loud. You could probably hear me clicking or typing, but that'll, that'll get fixed soon enough. Nice. Well, there's lots to talk about this week. The Trump Organization 15-year employee tax scheme, at least the alleged tax scheme, I guess that happened a few weeks ago, and I wasn't ready to talk about it, but now I am. I've dug, I've dug deep into it, and I think there's a way to discuss this from an accountant and bookkeeper perspective that uh, isn't necessarily political. There's some, some interesting tidbits in there. What, what is top of mind for you this week? Most of everything is like app news. I don't have uh, the only story I can have that's outside of app news. Well, there's PPP loans. They're not going to review the ones that are $2 million or more. And then the other one was um, there's an article in Accounting Today about the qualities that makes a good partner. And I, I read the article and I highlighted the five or six traits that make somebody become a good partner. I've also got a story about how cash payments declined during the pandemic more digital payments, whether or not CPA firms are going to require vaccines. There's a survey out about that. Liberty Tax got acquired. Gusto made another acquisition. I guess that's that goes to App News, which we can uh, get into. And, oh yeah, uh, Chime is under the ProPublica spotlight, the Neobank. Apparently they have quite a few complaints at the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau. Yeah, I have the Chime article as well. And then I also have another article about people at Amazon who are getting fired by AI. Like they're, they're analyzing, if you were a driver at Amazon, they're going to analyze all the data about you and where you set down the packages. Did you take a photo, et cetera? And then they're firing people. And I, I look at the Chime issues they're having and a lot of their complaints are due to AI. All right. Well, um, where do you want to start? Should we jump into app news and then go to everything else? Well, you teased me with the whole Trump thing and the, the, <laughs> the, the, the yeah, let's, let's jump into that because you Trump. said you've been sitting on that for two weeks, but you finally digested it. I would love to understand because I have yet to read it at all. I don't have no idea. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. 
It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. Well, so this this is probably something that our listeners have heard about. The headline in the New York Times is Trump Organization is charged with running 15-year employee tax scheme. The Manhattan District Attorney's Office has been conducting an investigation of the Trump Organization alongside the New York Attorney General, and they have both accused a top executive, Alan Weisselberg, who's the CFO of the Trump Organization, of avoiding taxes on 1.7 million in perks that should have been reported as income. What's interesting about this story is that Weisselberg is accused, and and the Trump organization, they're both accused of a fringe benefits scheme. So these are uh, benefits that Weisselberg personally received, at least Mercedes, bonuses, a rent-free New York City apartment, furniture for his Florida home, private school tuition for his grandchildren. And Blake, just to pause here, this applies up and down. I think if I remember back in the day when I was into it, you know, um, they gave out like car wash gift certificates. And then, you know, it showed up on your pay stub. And you had to pay taxes on the $7 car wash gift certificate. So like like any perks you get as an employee, in theory, should eventually show up on your pay stub or your W-2. And these are widely known as fringe benefits. They're non-usually... They are uh, non-cash benefits that you received from your employer, and the rule is that this has to be treated as compensation. So if you are a property manager and you live on-site in an apartment complex, you may receive a free apartment from your employer. Well, you have to report that as compensation, the value of the rent you're not paying. And so what I found interesting about this story is that It is a lot of money. For most people, $1.7 million is a lot. But it's also not a lot of money in the context of the organization and over 15 years. If you take $1.7 million and you divide it by 15, you're talking like $100,000 a year and change. And So so we committed $100,000 of tax fraud every year for 15 years. Right. Normally, this sort of crime... Would not be it, this wouldn't be prosecuted as a crime. It would be like a civil thing, right? The IRS might go after you for this. It, it's just you're not going to go to jail generally for this sort of thing. Although it has happened before, but it's very rare. So that's that's where the allegations of this being a political thing come up. Is that well, you know, this happens all the time, and people do this all the time, and so this is unfairly singling out Trump because, well, you know, the New York Attorney General wants to go after him. But but it is a crime, right? So, and But it's also widespread. And we've been talking a lot about the tax gap on this show, the difference between what businesses and individuals owe and the amount they actually pay. And there's a huge tax gap in this country. It's mostly due 
to unreported business income. And this is a very good example of exactly that sort of thing that happens on a widespread level all over. And I haven't, I don't think I've ever encountered a business where I didn't see some sort of fringe benefit that wasn't being reported. They haven't, there's, and there's many levels of it. It might be that meal that your client goes out to where it's kind of obvious it's not really a business expense, but who's going to say? So there, there's all the way from that to what they did at the Trump organization, which is, uh, and this is the, my favorite part about the story, part of the reason they're getting caught for this or, or what, something that makes this easier for the attorney general is that they kept a spreadsheet, an internal spreadsheet apparently, that, where they recorded these off-the-books benefits and they actually reconciled it to Weisselberg's compensation. So they <laughs> took his... They, right. So I love the le- attention to detail here, right? Like if you're going to if you're going to commit a crime as an accountant, really, you know, reconcile the difference between what you're hiding uh and what because your compensation Because they don't want him to get more than what he deserved. Right. For fair and reasonable so, compensation so, for his activities. Right. So he had a compensation number that was negotiated upon and then they would reduce his taxable compensation on his paycheck by the amount that they were giving to him as fringe benefits. And over the years, it was different things. It was the Mercedes, the rent-free apartment, the private school tuition for the grandchildren, the furniture for the Florida home, and they kept track of it all. And so what's funny about this is it's like they broke the number one rule of being a financial criminal, which is don't keep a paper trail. (laughs) If you're going to do crimes, don't keep a meticulous spreadsheet that details exactly the crimes over many, many years. So it, who who ultimately is responsible for this? So obviously he was running the payroll, so it's a little bit different. But if I, if I worked for the Trump organization, but I wasn't running the payroll and I wasn't involved in the financials, but I was taking advantage of these perks and they weren't on my W-2, so why would I put them on my taxes? Like who's who would get in trouble? The employer for not taxing these properly and withholding amounts and reporting them in the W-2s? Or is it you, the employee, is your responsibility to report this up the ladder to the IRS on your taxes if it's not under W-2? It's both. So it's the employee for failing to report the income. So Weisselberg himself is in trouble. And then the Trump organization is in trouble because they didn't withhold payroll taxes. So Social Security and Medicare, right? That was all due on all of this compensation. They didn't pay it. Yeah, they're, they're avoiding. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So it's it's both. So it's definitely unusual. Most businesses, this would ne- this would go on. The Trump Organization, if Donald Trump had never been president, probably this never would have been found out. And so that's what's I think also kind of enlightening about this is if this happens here, I mean they're obviously stretching it. I, I imagine this is quite um, egregious. But this is happening in all sorts of businesses all over the country. And this is why we need a stronger IRS that's actually going to audit businesses so that they don't do this kind of stuff. That's that's where you get the tax gap. Or there needs to be some sort of reporting or a combination of increased audits and reporting to make sure that businesses uh, don't go so far. I mean, you're never going to stamp out all of this stuff, right? There's, There's such a gray area when it comes to fringe benefits. But like, come on, 
So, so this is, this is ridiculous. You know, COVID hit, right? And a lot of firms have their staff working at home and maybe the firm during business season used to bring food into the office, but out in lieu of that, Hey, here's, here's hundred dollars every week uh, you can spend on Grubhub or, Oh, we gave you a budget so you can build out your home office and buy a monitor and things like that at your house. That has to be reported then. It depends, right? Some, some benefits you are allowed to, are, are a business expense, like bringing food into the office. I pretty sure that, you know, that's, that's something that you don't have to report as a fringe benefit for but employees. But if you just give out a gift card to employees for them to utilize while they're at home. That could be. That could be. So, um, but yeah, if you're paying for your employee's apartment <laughs> that as, as a rent expense, then, you know, that could be an issue. So anyway, that's, that's my take on this. I'm curious what our listeners think. Um, I do agree this is political, by the way, right? Um, so like it's not a uh, – it, this wouldn't be happening otherwise. I'd also think it's wrong. <laughs> and you know, like I mean if any of this stuff is – if even half of this stuff is true, it's just blatant, right? Um, and just – it's also stupid, right, to use this – but criminals are stupid. Interestingly, Weisselberg, you know, he worked his way up from being a bookkeeper uh, for Fred Trump. He was a bookkeeper, always worked for the Trump organization. It was like his one job he's always had, incredibly loyal. And uh, maybe that's why they kept this meticulous spreadsheet because it's his bookkeeper roots. So I, I admire that as a as a ex-bookkeeper myself. <laughs> well, he wanted to make sure he was being compensated fairly. Exactly, right. exactly. So what else is new? Employers added. 850,000 jobs in June, including 2.8 thousand. I guess that's 2,800 in accounting. That's according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Interestingly, at the same time, U.S. job openings hit a record 9.2 million in May. So we've got all these jobs. It's a it's an employee's market. It's a good time to be an employee. It's a good time to be an accountant or a bookkeeper going out on your own, as we've discussed. And you know what's also interesting is this metric of the month that I saw in CFO Magazine, you know, I bring these to you every now and then, David. These are from APQC. This metric that they published this month is personnel cost perform finance function per finance function FTE. In other Wait, words, start this over again. <laughs> that might be the episode title, actually. Personal co- personnel cost to perform finance function per finance function FTE. That's, that's such a ridiculous title. Uh, it, in simpler words, in words that normal humans would use, it is the average salary per finance, full-time finance employee. And there's such a huge range in this. So the top, the 25th percentile, right? So a, a, the top quarter, well, I don't know if it's top or bottom, but anyway, the on one extreme, you've got companies that pay around $45,000 average compensation for a full-time employee in the finance department, $45,000. On the other extreme, the 75th percentile, it's 109,000. So 45,000, 109,000, right in the middle, the, the median is 68,000. That's a big difference, right? Average. But don't you have a lot of different rules though? Right, right. And that's where this could be coming from. It's that people doing data entry you can pay them $45,000 a year. And people who don't do data entry, who do the high-level stuff, the senior accountants, your controllers. Track the fringe benefits. That's the people that track the fringe benefits in those spreadsheets, you know, they're going to make six figures or more. 
normally in the 25th percentile, those are the people you want to be like. But I actually think that in this, you want to be like the 75th percentile people where you've automated most of that manual data entry work. So all of your finance people are making like six figures or more. But you have a very, very small team. You have a small team. They make a lot of money. They're very skilled. I thought that was interesting. And and that relates to all of this job market stuff because when the job market is tight, uh, when they're when it's an employee's job market, you're going to have to pay people more if you want to attract them. And how do you do that? You automate the crappy work of data entry so that you can pay your smart people, your talented people, your uh, licensed folks, perhaps, more money. So do you see the, the SBA is going to um, eliminate the loan necessity probably for uh, PPP loans of $2 million or more? So basically, doesn't this mean that there's no more loan necessity question for anyone. Yeah, they're going to get rid of uh, the questionnaire. So remember, remember that, that questionnaire that remember when they first came out that we we're like, man, there's a lot of questions of this, and they're tricky. Is this just to to punish people after the fact? Right? It's we're a trap. To, it's it's a, a trap, trap right? If yeah. you make these claims, you sign off on this, and then maybe you were wrong because the questions were a little complicated. Um, so they're eliminating that. It's a SBA form 3509, which is the loan necessity questionnaire. And then also the nonprofit version of that, which is the SBA form 3510. There's not a lot of clear answers why they're doing this other than it's a little bit of a time and money savings thing, because a lot of people are waiting because of this form eight months to get their loans. And so they're hoping to bring that in and make it a little bit faster. Um, and then they also are little speculation that they're doing it to avoid lawsuits on their side. Mm. They just want to, I think, give out more loans and not be sued for getting Well, and out. forgive them, right? The banks and, want the loans forgiven. Yep. Actually, we, we predicted this. The SBA does not have the resources to audit these loans. It's just not feasible. They've got, what, a few hundred employees? <laughs> so, Essentially, that's, that's the, what it sounds like. Yeah. They're just at the IRS. They're just stacked up and nobody can go through them in time. So it's like, well, why don't we just stop doing them since yeah. they're probably getting rubber stamped anyways, which goes back to what we said, rubber stamp PVP loans from the beginning. That's right. We called it. You called it, David. Actually, you used that term. So good, good on you for predicting this. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Cinder. If you ever tried to get your clients Stripe, Square, Shopify, Amazon, eBay, Etsy, or PayPal transactions into QuickBooks Online or Xero, you've probably pulled your hair out a few times trying to get the income and fees recorded correctly so that the deposit amounts match the bank statements so you can reconcile. In just two clicks, Cinder automatically and accurately categorizes and posts these transactions into the accounting system. Cinder can sync all the necessary details like inventory items, tax, shipping, discounts, classes, locations, including multi-currency transactions. It even correctly handles the processor fees. With tools like Duplicate Detector and Rollback Functions, you can rest assured that your client's books will never get messed up because you can undo and restore any synced data with literally one click. Importing historical payment data from Excel and other platforms make it easy to onboard new clients. And if you ever need support, Cinder offers free help using one of your favorite means of communications, be it chat, email, or phone. To book a free demo of Cinder and to level up your e-commerce business accounting, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Cinder. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash S-Y-N-D-E-R. Easy accounting for e-commerce businesses with Cinder. Hey, have you been following the you know Biden tax plan 
proposed all that negotiation stuff going on? This is the infrastructure, right? The Is it like a $6 trillion plan now? I, uh, I, I loosely follow it. Yeah, I, I mean... I don't know. I, the numbers change all the time, right? Because it's, it's it's all negoti- being negotiated. And like you said, infrastructure has been linked to this. The idea is, oh, we need to raise taxes on corporations and pass through entities to pay for infrastructure. And of course, closing the tax gap is linked up in that too, because they need a lot of money. Well, the Tax Foundation put out a chart, an analysis of what all this would actually mean in the end, for corporations and pass-through entities. How much additional tax would this actually, how much additional tax burden would this actually put on them, right? How much tax would be collected? And I love the Tax Foundation because they do a really good job. When, when I read their stuff, it seems nonpartisan. It seems very analytical. Here is the facts. Here's what's going to happen based on our analysis. And I don't know if that's that's true you know, with the people running it, but it seems pretty legit. And so there's this chart here um, in this article about uh, how Biden's plan on of higher taxation on businesses, uh, well, the headline is it would boost collections to the highest in 40 plus years. And they look at collections in terms of a proportion of GDP and they map it out over time. And as many of us know, tax collections uh, during World War II and for about two or three decades after were much higher than they are now. And then starting in the 80s, we got on this lower corporate taxes, trickle-down economics, if you will, maybe that's the pejorative term, uh, trend, right? And and corporate taxes have been declining. So, you know, in the 50s, corporate taxes were three and a half to six percent of GDP. Now they're closer to one percent. So it's really changed a lot. Well, Biden's plan, the essence of this is that it would push combined corporate and pass-through income tax collections above 3%. So it hasn't been at that level since the 60s. And that's the takeaway from this. Well, it was briefly during the um, uh, housing and financial bubble. That was an anomaly. So what's really interesting about this is, I guess, that this is a seismic shift. This is a big change. And it would take us back to a different time when you know taxes were higher, but I guess the argument, the counter argument uh, to the negative side is, well, that was uh, you know a lot of people consider that to be the golden era, fifties and sixties, golden age of the middle class in America. So I guess it all depends on what the, the what the money is spent on, but it would have a significant impact, right? We're talking about uh, bumping bumping up taxes by, it, I mean, look on this chart, it looks like we'd be going from around two and a half percent of GDP to low threes. So take a look at that if uh, if you're interested in you know the macro tax perspective. And that was on tax the, foundation. The tax foundation does that. Yeah. yeah, tax foundation. I um, saw an article about qualities that make somebody a good partner. So like imagine bis- if business you're, partner or life partner. Uh, this would be partner at an accounting firm. So imagine okay. you're you just got hired. You're out of college. Here's some things you should probably try and do that could make you a a partner. Um, this article is from Edward. Uh, Mendelowitz. Oh yeah, and from, he wrote this on uh, Accounting Today, and I forget he is with what firm? He's with uh, with them, with them, Brown. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so I just here's the highlights. Um, he is he is the most prolific accounting blogger I've ever seen, Ed Mendelowitz. And, and he actually does an easy model. Like this blog post, he just told the story of like six people, 
six partners he's met during his career. He's probably met dozens, hundreds and thousands maybe, right? And he just made a little mental note. He tells a little story. Hey, one Friday evening in the summer. And then he does another paragraph with the other person. And one day, uh, the next one, um, this is a different type of situation. He just told little dinky stories, but that's how he pumps out so much content. He just tells stories of what's been happening. So if you're trying to come up with content for your own blog, just mm-hmm. tell stories. So I don't want to go into all the details of his stories, but every one of them, he summarized with a nice sentence at the end. There's six partners in here he talks about. So this is generically like partner A, right? Client-centric thinking is essential. Another one is client-centric and also building their network. So working with other teams, reviewing numbers with other teams. Don't be stuck in your silo. Eager to learn, not afraid to ask for help and staying on top of the ball. The ability to delegate and have your staff be responsive to requests. So basically being a good manager and a mentor are necessary qualities. And then the last one is uh, maintaining a good time schedule and again, focused on the client. Oh, and actually one more. Sorry about this. He was impressed with somebody that read a blog post or a news article the day before and is able to remember that they read it and discuss it the next day. Maybe it was the Journal of Accountancy, et cetera. Maybe they want, maybe, 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 maybe this partner listened to the Cloud Accounting Podcast and was able to <laughs> bring a takeaway to other partners in the firm. So he called that as well. So this was just a, so basically the gist is manage your time, treat your employees good and care about your clients. And that's how you become a partner. Seems simple. I noticed that timesheets are not on there at all. Nothing about realization rates or uh, hours worked or billed. That is true. Yeah. Hmm. Because maybe none of that actually matters when it comes to client experience, which seems to be the number one thing, right? Take care of your clients, take care of your staff, and everything else will take care of itself. So pandemic stuff. Cash declined. I mentioned that people are using less cash than ever before. There's a stat out from the Federal Reserve Bank of Atlanta, a survey of more than 1,900 households nationwide found that the number or the proportion of consumers who reported using cash for at least one payment monthly dropped to about 75%. So a quarter. 25% of consumers did not use cash for anything last month. That's a lot. This is down from 82% in 2019. So significant change. Households paid with credit cards 12% more often than they did in 2019. All told, people made 63% of their payments with debit, credit, or other payment cards, up from 55% five years earlier. So we have gone way past the turning point now where digital payments, whether that's credit or payment app, debit card, are, are beating cash. And uh, one thing I found interesting about the Wall Street Journal article that uh, summarizes this is that they, they kind of get a little bit judgmental about credit cards and non-cash payments and uh, wistfully think back to a time when people paid with cold, hard cash because it it may have made people think more about spending. There are studies that show that when you spend with a credit card, you don't really think about how much you're spending. I mean, that's kind of intuitive, right? But it's definitely true. I was uh, was on vacation this week. The boy and I, we rented some uh, Lyft scooters. And if I was paying cash for that, we probably would not have 
you know, it's really easy. I just put it on the ride on hold. You're like, oh, I'll park it in the wrong spot. You just, because you're not, it's not real cash coming out of your pocket. But if for every minute, 55 cents was leaving my pocket, really quickly it would be like, all right, we're done with these scooters. The other argument is that, well, this decrease in savings that we've seen is not due to people not using cash. It's just due to like interest rates being really low and credit being really available. I mean, you think about it as a normal consumer, there's really no reason to put your money in a savings account because nothing happens to it. It just sits there, right? So if people actually got a return on their savings, maybe they would save more. And and this is a, a big shift that's happened. Uh, since the late 1980s, or or I should say back in the late 1980s, Americans saved roughly 10% of their disposable personal income. That started to decline. And then by 1995, they saved only 3% of their earnings. The number has rebounded and shot up in the pandemic, but unless you know interest rates go up again, I, I think it'll probably go back down. People just don't save anymore, which I guess you could say is good for our consumer economy, right? Because it's driven by consumerism, and if people save, then that doesn't make the economy move. move. And if everybody saved, you know, you wouldn't. But it's hard to get motivated to save if you can get two million dollar PPP loans with no documentation, basically. <laughs> And that's not to mention, you know, I know we haven't talked about, uh, we've talked about the, how the IRS is going to be distributing, but all the new childcare, the monthly childcare amounts. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or not childcare, but the- Ta- Child tax credit payments. Tax credit, yeah. Yeah. And so, like, there's a lot of, if, in a way, you could start viewing that as your savings account, right? Well, know. and for a lot of, for a lot of working class people, that big chunk of money was their savings that they would then get every year. and spend it on something big or or save it, you know, put it in the bank. Yeah. A lot of people view their tax refund, right? Hey, I'm it's like a forced savings. Yeah, yeah. forced savings. Yeah. Um, CPA firms and vaccine mandates. So this is from a survey by the VSCPA. Is that the Virginia Society of CPAs? I believe so. Yes. The Virginia CPA Society did a member survey and they found that in public accounting, vaccination requirement numbers are quite divergent. 56% of respondents say they will not require employees to be vaccinated when they return to the office, and only 24% say that they will. There's some uh, remote work stats in here as well. More than one-third of respondents will make remote work a permanent option if the role allows it. And a full 40% of respondents say they will reduce their office footprints which is directly a response to increasing remote operations for 65% of the respondents, followed by 23% with a reduction in staffing and 15% seeing a decline in business. So over a third, making remote work permanent, 40% are going to reduce their office footprint. I'm wondering, uh, yeah, I'm wondering about that. That, that vaccination number, I think it's pretty different than like corporate America, like very different. Legally, I don't think they can require it, right? I think we've talked about you this on the show. No, you can. You can. I think that's the that was the takeaway, right? Under recent guidance from the U.S. Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, employers have the legal right to make such requirement. And that's why you saw that story about the hospital in Texas where they like let go of a hundred or more employees because they wouldn't get vaccinated. Remember that? Eisner Amper they bought uh, a managed service provider, so essentially a an IT hosting solutions company. They did not disclose the price, but uh, it's a company called Zentech. They were founded in 2014. 
What's interesting about this, maybe this is a question. In general, CPA firms want to avoid risk. But now if, you, if you're doing IT work, you're hosting people's data, and, and who's big targets right now for ransomware and everybody else? It's these managed service providers. Because once you get in, now you have access to everything. Like, oh, and that was, there was just a big hack that was through a managed service provider. Yeah. I just heard about that, yeah. So is there that much money in this that it's worth the risk? I'm just, I, I'm trying to understand like why an accounting firm would go into that space other than, you know, wrapping it up into their full portfolio of services they provide for clients. But it just feels, it feels risky for accounting firms. Well, I think if you're big enough, like Eisner Amper is, Eisner Amper is big enough where the they can have the, they say, yeah, yeah, they can have the insurance to to do it. And then, you know, you got to have the legal agreements in place. It makes a lot of sense if you're if you're selling software to people and you're advising them on their IT, having a full stack solution like that, meaning that you're not just helping them pick the software, you're also helping them administer all the systems to run it, makes a lot of sense. Especially if you're still doing it with on on-prem software because the risks are so high with on-prem. And actually, I have a story that can lead us into app news on that. I guess the other way to look at this is they probably in-house are spending, maybe they were, this is a, maybe they were customers in tech. Yeah, and, maybe. And they're spending so much uh, on, on, the, on outsourcing their IT that it's maybe making sense to bring it back in-house and just buy the company. That's, I would not be surprised if that was the case. All right, should we get into app news? Yeah, let's do it. So that story I mentioned about on-prem... MSPs getting hacked. Well, in this case, it wasn't an MSP that got hacked. It was a cybersecurity company that found a security vulnerability in an on-prem Sage ERP solution called Sage X3. This was reported in accounting today. Uh, Apparently, Rapid7 announced Wednesday that it had found several security vulnerabilities in Sage X3 ERP software Four gaps in security were found by company researchers. The first two were protocol-related issues involving remote administration of Sage X3, and the latter two are web application vulnerabilities. They reported these vulnerabilities to Sage confidentially, and then um, Sage fixed it. What's interesting, and kind of what relates to this MSP story that you brought, David, is that uh, none of these would have been issues if companies were using secure VPN connections for all of the outside connections to the ERP system. It mitigates all those vulnerabilities. So that's the sort of thing, the VPN is the sort of thing that you would manage as a MSP for a company. It's, it's, it's all about restricting the doorways into applications, even ones that are web-based. Like, and this is, I think, what firms don't understand is they think that if you go fully cloud, you don't need to have hosting anymore. But if you really want to be secure, you should actually, in many cases, have virtual desktops so that your employees, when they log in to their computer, they're actually using their laptop as a virtual terminal that's then loading apps and web browsers and everything on a virtual server somewhere that's highly controlled and secure. Which I think is Microsoft's next version of Windows, right? It's kind of the dream. Right. You just, you're just temporarily using Windows. It's not actually on your computer. You have no control over it. Yeah. So what else in app news? Paycom launches payroll that employees run their own, their own payroll. So from what I can tell, so uh, it's, a company called, it's Paycom and they released a feature called Betty. 
BETI, it's Better Employee Transaction Interface. It's an enhancement to their current payroll offering and automates and streamlines the payroll process by empowering employees to do their own payroll. I don't know if you've ever seen any of the ads for Paycom before. Um, It's all about you, the employee, doing your own timesheets. You, the employee, managing all your vacation stuff. You, the employee, doing all your HR work, right? You doing it all. Now, this is just the extension of it. Essentially, from what I can tell from the screenshots, it's almost like an approval process. Like maybe the payroll is kind of half queued up automatically and you go in and you hit accept payment and then it runs the payroll. Their founder and CEO says it should have always been this way, but the tech didn't exist. Today it does. Employers and employees will win with it. But it's ultimately putting the responsibility in the hands of the employees. And what I think my question is, and we talked about this before, like your job as the employee is to do your job as the employee, whatever your job is. And Every little department of a company, especially bigger companies, they want to be efficient. So they they push more on the employee. And so shouldn't you be working at work and not running your own payroll? That's where I'm coming from on this. It, it makes sense, right? So the idea is you get employees to resolve issues before payroll is submitted. So So they are prompted to check and make sure that this is correct. And then you're not going back and fixing things after the fact, which I, I like that concept. That makes a lot of sense. I think employees would like having visibility too, right? You don't, you're not waiting until you get your paycheck to see what happened. Yeah, there's definitely insight. I think the employees get some of this. Um, yeah. One of the bullets they have on the website, which I'm really surprised they're making a claim like this, it says reduced employer liability. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dark Horse CPAs. Creating a CPA firm from scratch is hard. Scaling it is even harder, and doing it alone sucks. Let's face it, being a CPA and being an entrepreneur are two entirely different things. If you're currently at the management level at a CPA firm and you're considering either leaving public accounting or going out on your own, you've got to take a look at Dark Horse CPAs. At Dark Horse, you'll have everything you need to quickly build a profitable book of business. From training and coaching to leading edge technology and a supportive community who helps each other succeed, this is your best shot at a better career in public accounting. It's all the upside of opening up your own firm without the risks and responsibilities of owning the business. If you want to learn more about improving your accounting career with Dark Horse, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash darkhorse. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-A-R-K-H-O-R-S-E. Or catch them at their booth at AICPA Engage this month. Speaking of payroll, Gusto has made another acquisition. It's second acquisition in all of Gusto history. And the last one was just like a couple weeks ago. So this time, Gusto is acquiring Symmetry Software, a longtime leader in payroll infrastructure technology. Symmetry is going to become a part of Gusto while continuing to run its business and serve its customers. Gusto is saying that Symmetry will be able to accelerate product development and deliver more cutting-edge cutting edge payroll infrastructure faster. Now, I've never heard of Symmetry. Oh, so I have. They are 
they're out of Scottsdale, right? So that's the funny thing. They're based in Scottsdale, yeah. where so I now live. So they used to be paycheck. I want to say it was uh, something called like Paycheck City. So they always had kind of a front end app, so you could calculate pay stubs manually. And and, and the reason I know this is when I was into into a payroll, an amazing amount of business owners would not buy payroll tax calculations, and they'd go to this website and they'd manually calculate every pay stub and then handwrite them every single time on this website. So they basically it's a tax table engine. And yeah, yeah. It's, what, what this looks like is they just bought a competitor because now that they're going to offer APIs in their product, Symmetry essentially does that. So third-party apps could use Symmetry to power their payroll. So you're on the right track, David, but I dug into this and I realized they're not buying a competitor. They're actually buying the company that is going to provide all this API stuff. So Symmetry in their press release about this said that they started working with Gusto when Gusto had three employees and had written code to calculate paychecks in the state of California. Realizing the complexity of calculating taxes in every locality in the United States, they reached out to Symmetry. So Gusto has been using Symmetry the whole time for all of its paycheck calculations around the country. This is how they went. so, So then this is a complete management failure by Symmetry. Because in theory, they, they're they the API powering pay stubs, paycheck well, calculations. And, and this is amazing too. Like they say that they do the calculations for something like 60 million Americans every pay period. So so think about this. this they're like Stripe of payroll calculations. If you want to think about it that way. Imagine some app that uses Stripe buying Stripe. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense that they're not bigger than gusto they're not bigger they weren't charging enough or something like like they're, they're it doesn't make any sense that one of their customers bought them if you think about it that way i i yeah i'm it's it's interesting i mean maybe they got a really good price <laughs> and so does this mean they're going to shut down these calculations to onpay and adp and zenefits they and say no building on this they okay. say no but of course that's what everyone says right it doesn't say who their other customers are for these calculations, but you got to imagine there's lots and lots of payroll services that are using Symmetry. And this goes to Check. Um, check is it Check HQ? What's it called? Sorry, I'm a... well, the, the the company that's gonna that's gonna that do actually is API payroll invested in by Stripe. Stripe, yeah. right? So Check is its own payroll calculation engine, right? Unless they're also just using Symmetry, that would be funny. That's correct. Uh, but, it's possible, but I think that they're they're deeper in the weeds. I think, and it's it's all about you know implementing your payroll with just a couple mm. lines of code. So it's very much more like a Stripe model. But this is, could be you know there's a division happening here, right? Because I know Homebase always had a relationship with Gusto. Now Homebase launched a payroll product on Check Check's API. So there's a this is. It's very hot now, these payroll APIs, which is amazing because I was banging my fist a decade ago. Payroll APIs need to exist. And now these companies exist. And I'm actually a little speechless that a customer bought the API provider. Well, no. So Symmetry just provides the calculations. So Gusto is going to use Symmetry and their calculation engine, right? They maintain the tables, the tax tables for all the payroll taxes everywhere. Yeah, yeah. So, so Gusto is making API calls. This is this is like this would be like somebody buying Avalara, like a customer of Avalara buying Avalara. 
Like you're paying for the engines. Like the expertise, the, the hardest part about payroll is this. I disagree. Really? The hardest part about payroll is the customer service and the, the user interface because you've got all these employees logging in, trying to get information. You've got all the employers logging in, trying to run payroll. I think that's actually harder than the payroll tax calculations. And that's what Gusto chose to focus on. Mm -hmm. So they Experience. outsourced, right. So rather than going and maintaining all their own tables, they said, Symmetry is the expert. They've been doing this for 40 years. We're just going to rely on them for the tax tables and we're going to build the experience. And now they've decided, well, maybe it's too much of a risk to rely on another company to power our entire platform with their calculations, right? Yeah, I don't know. We'll have to watch this and see what they do next with this space. Uh, what else is new in the world of software? We've got some updates from FreshBooks. New and improved in FreshBooks for June. They now have a recurring revenue widget where you can track recurring revenue on your dashboard. It's an at-a-glance view of all upcoming recurring income broken down by client straight from your dashboard. You can now set a reply to email for your business. So when you send out invoices, it goes to a different reply to address. You can now easily view all the sent emails that have been sent to your clients from FreshBooks for the last 90 days. You can connect FreshBooks to Outlook. That means you can add Outlook contacts as clients in FreshBooks. You can create draft and send invoices directly from Outlook, making it easier than ever to work the way you want. And they've now got pre-authorized debits in Canada. So you can collect invoice payments for Canadian clients with pre-authorized debit enabled. When your client accepts the terms, the funds are drawn straight from their bank account. And that's everything that is new in FreshBooks. So Liberty Tax got sold or they completed the acquisition. So franchise group who owned Liberty Tax sold this to another company called Nextpoint Acquisition Corp. Um, there's a deal for 182 million in cash and about 67 million in shares in Nextpoint. So Nextpoint's plans is to take tax preparation and combine it with loans. So they, they previously bought a loan company called Loan Me, and they basically want to roll out prime loans, mortgages, insurance products, bookkeeping, and other services on top of doing Liberty Tax type stuff at the 1300 Liberty Tax franchises. But what's interesting about this article is very the very last sentence. So we've known the history of Liberty Tax. They've had regulatory issues. They've been in trouble. They had to fire the CEO, John Hewitt, right? Liberty Tax has kind of been in a mess. Mm -hmm. Well, apparently this loan me, this California-based lender, they've had a lot of issues with high interest loans and have regulatory issues of their own. So basically this company, Next Point Acquisition, is taking two dogs and combining them into a super dog that's probably going to multiply the regulatory issues. I don't know. It's one to watch so, here. So the idea is that people come into Liberty Tax to get their taxes done, and then you can sell them all these other things because you already have all their information. This is... Look, this really reminds me of um, Credit Karma and Intuit and TurboTax. Like, it's this whole idea of once we have all this information that we need to do their taxes, we can cross-sell all sorts of other stuff. But isn't the way Liberty Tax got in trouble, A, bad returns, but B, it's all out of that loan stuff, right? Like, oh, we'll, we'll give you a refund now, but it's going to cost you this huge fees to get your refund. Well, I think there was just like blatant tax fraud, right? That happens yeah. at all of these franchises. <laughs> Somebody opens up a franchise and they're just, people aren't trained. They're just doing a bunch of like, oh, here's, here's a dependent. You need a dependent. Here you go. Here's one. And it incentivizes, it incentivizes the, the franchisee to do that kind of stuff because they're earning their fee out of the refund. 
So this is not so much app news as much as I feel like it's more API news. I have two stories that are kind of related. So Chime, we've talked about Chime, the third bank, but remember they got in trouble. They weren't allowed to say bank anymore. And they're, uh, you know, under the microscope now of ProPublica, which is the one you don't want to be under. Um, <laughs> they have, seem to have the budget and time to dig into the weeds on a lot of things. But what's been happening is they've been suspending people's accounts automatically. So Blake, you might keep $1,000 in your Chime account. And then one day it's just suspended and you can't get your money out. And to kind of give like some numbers on this, you know, everybody loves Wells Fargo, right? <laughs> or people hate, they despise <laughs> Wells Fargo, right? Yeah. So Wells Fargo, and what was the time period on this? Over, over the last three months, Wells Fargo has only gotten 317 complaints that are complaining about a closed account. And overall, they only had 3,200 complaints. And they're six times larger than Chime. But over the last three months, Chime is now pushing 902 complaints and 197 are talking about closed accounts. And, and Well, and what they've been doing, right, is just using automation to try to detect fraud and closing people's accounts. Because a lot of people were opening up Chime accounts to get like, unemployment fraud money, PPP money they shouldn't have gotten. So Chime, they don't have the people to review all these accounts. I mean, their, their whole business model doesn't work if they're using people. Yeah, so so they're trying to automate it and using AI to do this. Right. right. And then you have to go and figure out how to unfreeze your account after the fact. But you can't, right? That's the problem. It's almost impossible to talk to somebody. It's hard to get somebody in the line. Yeah. And then Chime, because they're quoting, this is the problem, right? My definition of bank is if you have a balance, balance of money somewhere, they are a bank. It should be regulated. Chime's like, hey, we're not a bank. They don't have to answer regulators. We're just a tech company. We can turn off accounts whenever we want. Like, this would not be allowed with normal banks, usually, right? Without, you know, usually the government's, you know, forcing an account to be locked or closed. And what's interesting about this is that the money is actually held by banks. They are partner banks of Chime. Chime is just the interface, the app. And then all the money is held with these partner banks, but people don't know that. So they're trying to go through Chime to get their money back. And Chime says, no, or won't, you can't talk to anybody. And the money is like in limbo somewhere at, what do they use? Bank they use the Bank, bank or, or Stride Bank, both members of FDIC. Right. So how can it not be regulated? I, it, it's very shocking. Like, It's a happening. loophole. It's a loophole, right? Like you can create an app, you use these partner banks, and then you yourself... I mean, theoretically, the the banks should be holding Chime to a high standard, but that's not happening. So Chime can escape regulation. Because Chime's the one that's going to take the brand damage, not Bancorp or Stride Bank, because people don't know they exist. So uh, I just wanted to read one of these complaints because it's really tragic, some of this stuff. Like Chime is attracting people who don't have a lot of money, who are living paycheck to paycheck. And when they suddenly get their account shut off, it can be tragic. Here's a post that says, I'm a single mom of four kids and they've stolen 1400 from me and refused to give it back. And now we are about to be evicted. The whole post starts with a guy who had $10,000 in his account and he goes to Applebee's to have dinner with his five-year-old twins. And when he goes to pay with his debit card from Chime, it's declined and then the app says, we regret to inform you that we've made the decision to end our relationship with you at this time. Your spending account will be closed on March 18th, 2021. And he had to call his parents and have them pay the bill. You know, this guy's a 32-year-old motorcycle technician. This is, this is the dark side of tech, fintech, is when 
you have people hurt by the algorithm like this, and there's no recourse. And then it ties into another article that was in Bloomberg, and this is a long article, so it'll be in the show notes to read. But essentially, Amazon has bots going around firing people. And it's all algorithm-based. So let's say you're a driver. They have a a service, a gig service called Flex. So you can go and drive around and do like the two-hour deliveries. And a lot of the people who do it, they're gig workers, right? They're doing Uber. They're doing this. They're doing hustles. And for a lot of people, once the um, pandemic came, they really started pushing on the Flex because you don't, it's safer to drive, in theory, drive packages around than people. So a lot of people jumped on that, but let's say you got stuck in traffic. Let's say you got to an apartment complex and there was a gate and you couldn't get past the gate to deliver the package. So they're keeping track of all these knocks against you. And then one day you just get like, yo, your app just shuts you out. Just like Chime Bank does. Can't talk to HR. Can't talk to a manager. It was just an algorithm. And the managers don't, they're on their own ridiculous set of metrics and judgments to where they can't even take time to talk to you. Because they, if they spend time talking to you, they're not meeting their numbers on whatever they're required to do. And then they're getting fired by a bot. It's a little out of control. So we've got the YouTube algorithm recommending uh, fake news to people and socially engineering our society. And then we've got the Amazon algorithm firing us and hiring us without human intervention. And then we've got the FinTech Chime algorithm that's allowing us to open up and then closing our accounts. Talk about a dystopian kind of future that we have created for ourselves or that that's coming anyway is our entire society going to be run by an algorithm maybe it'll be powered by the ethereum blockchain one of those autonomous corporations that people have been talking about well this goes to you know i I feel like jan howie said this she was she did a talk at the bookkeepers conference and maybe made a comment that like all your automated processes should start with a human interaction and end with a human interaction and so maybe algorithms are okay, but they can't be the replacement. Right. And that's what's happening across the board here is you're not interacting with a human and some bots making a decision and turning off your bank account. And, and it could happen at any time for, imagine, this is why I don't want any smart car or any smart appliances or any smart anything. Because I don't want things just being turned off by some random al- algorithm that can't be trusted. I love that quote. Say it again. Your automated processes, your automation should be bookend with a human interaction in the front and a human interaction at the end. That's great. I know that might not be the exact quote, but that's the, the gist of the idea. That's the idea. I think we should end it with that. That is fantastic. What a great insight. Uh, David, if people want to get in touch with you, where's the best place for them to do that? I'm on all the socials. I'm just at David Leary. If it's LinkedIn, say I'm not a bot, so I know you're not a bot. I am at Blake T. Oliver. Feel free to reach out, connect with us. Follow us on all the socials. We are at cloud, A-C-C-T pod. That is short for at cloud accounting podcast. And you can give us a call. We love to hear from our listeners. We will listen to your voicemail and we will likely play it on the air. That number is 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. David, have a good one. All right. Talk to you later. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. 
You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Roger Rui calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.